I am extremely excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, despite the weird time of year, right? This is a weird time of year. It's like the uh, it's like the constant reminder of the already but not yet, right? Like we're already done with testing, but we have not yet finished the school year, right? We're already done with winter and spring, but it's just not quite summer yet. We're done with heat in the building. Some of you are feeling that right now. We're done with heat. We've turned the gas off for the year, but we're not quite sweating through our clothes like we will be in just a month or two. And I know that not a single person's going to complain about that this year because we all missed out on that opportunity last year, and so it'll just be wonderful all the way around. Now, I'm excited this morning because we get to start a brand new series that uh, you know, uh, I, 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 am, I am certain that the Lord has, has had his hand in the whole time and has, um, has impressed upon me to speak into. I know that because these are still living and active daily lessons for me that he is still, still, still working on me with. Our series that we begin this morning is called Authority. Already, some of you have tensed up. Some of you are like me, and you're like, no, I live as the embodiment of anti-authority. No, I do things because that's what the authority does, so I intentionally do the opposite. I feel you. Believe me. In our hearts, we are kindred spirits. I think uh, somebody told me once that I'm an Enneagram 8. Um, somebody said, oh, <laughs> Uh, and I think that that's like, a, that's like a thing about us, right? Where we're like, I, don't, I reject that label because you came up with that box and I didn't come up with that box and so I like to live outside of the box. I feel like it goes hand in hand with this idea of like authority. Oh, oh I'm gonna rise above that. Yes, you are in Jesus' name, but we'll get there. In a world where we fight so much for power, so much for power, I would argue that if we are to, as Christians, follow the example of Christ, it is not power that we should seek, but it is by authority we should live and lead, right? But this morning, before we can get into any of those things, there is one simple question that we all need to answer. If you would, I want you to join me in the Gospel of John. We will be in the 19th chapter. We're going to get to read one of my favorite statements that Jesus ever makes. If you have your physical Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you have your electronic devices, you can go ahead and look on that. Or if it's just safer and more convenient for you, it's all good. You can look right here on the perfectly straight screens that we have. <laughs> This is John chapter 19. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. It's not a good thing. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answers, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself king opposes Caesar. I know this might come as a shock to some of you, but when I was in school, high school specifically, I had not yet given my life over to Jesus, and Maybe as a result, maybe, I don't know. Um, I wasn't necessarily like the best behaved person in high school. I know that, that, I know that that's really surprising, right? I know, that, I know that you think that KT is a bad influence on me. And in many ways, that is true. But I, on my own, did get in a fair amount of trouble in school. I remember one specific instance my freshman year of high school um, I don't know if you guys ever had this, but we had like these like split periods, right? Where like there were three periods in a row that were shorter than the rest of the periods because one of those was going to be your lunch period and then the other two was an actual class period. I had what's known as a split period, which means one period was science for a few minutes, then I had lunch, then it was science again for a few minutes. And our science teacher, wonderful, wonderful person that he was, um, would allow us, since it was so short, to bring the whatever was left of our food back back into the second part of the period so we could finish our lunch and, and whatever. But oftentimes, specifically in science class, and I ought to tell you, I hated science class, that really just led to being more distractions, right? I'm sorry to all the people who love science or the people who are science teachers in here. I would have not liked you in high school. It's not personal. It's really what you represented more than it was anything else, right? So I'm sitting in science class, and me uh, and my friend, and I won't call him out because he might see this someday. His name's Jim Shiplett, and we used to get in a whole lot of trouble uh, together. He was an instigator. I was an instigator. We would go back and forth, but I remember one day in particular, we had uh, combos. You guys remember combos? Like, you remember buying those in the school cafeteria? And like, oh my goodness. We used to argue over which ones were the better ones. I personally thought the pizza roll ones were the best ones. Yes, thank you. I, I know that somebody's with me. Um, but today, we didn't feel like eating. We didn't feel like eating 
uh, these combos, we felt like throwing these combos at, uh, at our classmates. And so we were challenging each, each other uh, to see whose accuracy uh, was better. And so uh, I would say, you should throw it at that person, bam, throw it at that person. You should throw it at that person, bam, throw it at that person. Well, unfortunately, uh, the science teacher turned around and he caught on to what was happening. And immediately, it was always me, it was always me, turns around, hunka, knock it off. That's enough. You throw food in my classroom one more time, and you are going to the office. Yes, sir. Sorry. It was Jim. It wasn't Jim. He turns around, and a friend leans to me, and he says, hey, you should throw a combo at him. <laughs> now, I've got a decision to make. I can listen and respect my teacher, who is the person in the position of power. He holds my fate in his hands. Or I can yield to the influence of my friends. Because when he said, you should throw it at him, the people in front of me in the class turned around like, yeah, dude, you should. Probably because they wanted to see me get in trouble right? I had a decision to make. Of course, I would say in that instance, it is the science teacher who has authority over me. But in that moment of truth, you find out who really has the authority in my life. It was my friends. So I was like, all right, bet. And I threw the combo at the science teacher. He was writing on the chalkboard, and this thing hit the chalkboard almost like it was the period on the end of his sentence and went all over the place. And without even turning around, he said, Hunka, get out of my classroom. Go see Mr. Dial, who was the scariest human being I've ever met in my entire life. God rest his soul. We, as Christians specifically, I would venture to say, if asked the question, who has authority over your life? I'm willing to bet that any of us gathered here this morning would immediately say, God has ultimate authority over my life. Amen? I have committed my life to following Christ. Therefore, he is the leader. He is Lord. He has authority over me. But it's not until we're put in situations where we're forced to choose. And we like some options over the others. That we find out who really has authority in our lives. The only question I want you to be able to answer this morning, genuinely and authentically, is who has authority in your life? Who is the authority that genuinely leads your life? Is it God? If you're like me, you recognize, you recognize authority as a, as a cuss word, and so you kind of rebel against that a little bit. You're like, uh, nobody has authority over me. But what you're really saying by saying that is, I have authority over me. I reserve the right to have ultimate authority in my life. 
but I'm looking at people who are seasoned, I would say, just enough to know you know what happens when you claim authority over your own life. You know what happens when you reserve the right to make all your own decisions, to make them as to what is best and most beneficial to you. We recognize what happens ultimately, right? Eventually, something's going to derail us. Eventually, when we're not familiar with the roads of where we're traveling to, eventually, we're going to get put off by something. Eventually, we're going to end up hurt. We're going to end up in this place of asking this question again. When we look at this passage specifically, I think we see a perfect collision of the most common places we find authority. So let me ask you again, who has authority over your life? Is it a person in the position of power? Is that who has authority over your life? Is it your government? Are you here to say that the President of the United States has ultimate authority over my life? That my governor has ultimate authority over my life? That my professors, my teacher, my institution, my boss, my parents, who is it in the position of power who sits on that seat in your life? And let's be clear, catch what I'm saying. I'm talking about ultimate authority, right? I'm not talking about influence. That we'll talk about later, right? I'm not talking about who has sway. I'm not talking about who gets more uh, votes counted in your life than other people. I'm talking about ultimate authority, ultimate leadership, ultimate say-so. Is it a person in the position of power? When we look at John 19, we find, we find Pontius Pilate in a precarious position. Jesus has been brought to him as someone who has charges against him. Now, Pilate is more or less, the way we can understand it, is the governor of this area where Jesus is at. He's the governor over the area that is predominantly Jewish. And at uh, it, within the tension of this text, we find the tension between Jews and Romans. We talk a lot about the tension between Jews and Gentiles, but in this case, we see the tension between Jews and Romans because Romans were, for lack of a better way of putting it, were the oppressor, right? Romans ran the land. The Roman Empire owned the land that the Jews were allowed to stay on. And catch what I said right there. I said it that way on purpose. They would allow the Jews to have this little bit of area. But ultimately, the Romans were the ones that had the power. The Romans were the ones that had the say-so. They got to determine what taxes were. They got to determine what laws were. And Jews were forced whether it went against their culture or not, were forced to succumb to the laws of the land. And then what we see is we see this awkward, this awkward interaction where Jews have brought Jesus to Pilate on charges that are cultural. And Pilate has Jesus flogged. In other words, he had him beat up real bad. I actually can't put into appropriate terms in the amount of time that I'm trying to give myself this morning how brutal this beating was. They rip this man to shreds. They tie him up. They whip him. 
They slap him. They punch him. They kick him. They spit on him. They mock him. And the the soldiers mocking him, calling him a king, they make him a crown. But this crown is out of thorns, which means by, by just putting it on his head, it's cutting into his skin, and blood is dripping down his face. They throw a purple robe over him because purple is the color of royalty. And then they bow to him. They're saying, would have been, hail Caesar. But to him, they're saying, hail the king of the Jews. And for those of you who are not good at recognizing it all the time, that's sarcasm. And they bring him before a Jewish audience and they say, here is your king. They are exercising their political power over Jesus. They are putting on display their mockery of the Jewish culture. They're letting you know that we let you have your little cultural things. We let you have that claim to ethnicity. We let you have your own clothing, your own practices, your own beliefs. We let you have that. But here in this display, we are reminding you that we have ultimate authority. We have power over all of those things. And can I tell you the irony in this whole situation? Can I just point this out real quick? It was the Jews who were looking to the oppressive Romans' help to persecute one of their own, even though this is the one they've been waiting for. Let me bring this all the way around. Jews would have anxiously been awaiting the arrival of the Messiah because they believed that when the Messiah came, he would overthrow the Romans and return power, land, and authority to the Jews. So as they anxiously await for the Messiah to free them from the oppressor, he arrives and they deliver him to the oppressor and look to the oppressor to get rid of him instead. It's wildly mind-blowing. Until we realize we do the same thing. See, when you put people in, who hold positions of power as the ultimate authority of your life, let me say it this way, you make a mockery of the Messiah. When you put people in positions of power as the ultimate authority in your life, you let them say, you can have your cute little cultural religion on the side, but ultimately I tell you how to lead and live your life. When you let people in positions of power have ultimate authority over you, you're mocking the Messiah by saying, I know you've come to free me. I know you've come to save me, but I believe that this will save me. You tell Jesus to his face that it's my government that will save me. It's this political candidate that will save me. It's this teacher's guidance that will save me. 
instead of looking to the one who said, my whole purpose in being here is to set you free. And we'll just stay in that trap. We'll just stay locked in. Let me ask you, if you kill the Messiah, what hope do you have? Do you think your government will save you? Do you think the people who run your institution will save you? Do you think that ultimately any of those entities have your best interest at heart? Who has ultimate authority in your life? Now there's a second, there's a second party at play in this account. It is the crowd of public opinion. You thought you wanted me to move on from talking about people in positions of authority. You thought you wanted me to get off that point. But now we're going to talk about this one. The court of public opinion. Is that who plays ultimate authority in your life? So here's what happened. See, in order to fully get it, right? Because it seems like there's a shift. In the first three, four, five verses, it seems like Pontius Pilate is exhibiting his power, his strength over the situation. But then you get down to like verse like seven, eight, nine, and all of a sudden you're like, this dude's scared. This dude's afraid. Here's why. Earlier in his rule, Pilate got scolded. He got in trouble back in Rome because he was being too cruel to the Jews. He, he didn't care as much as other governors about letting Jews have their way. And so he would do things that were intentionally oppressive or intentionally cruel. He would, he would uh, increase the tax on, on Jewish gatherings. He would put up his flags and his messages over synagogues and things that were meant to represent God. He would do these things intentionally to the point that the people revolted. They say, you can't do this. And they got a mob together and they had a riot in the streets, the streets that he was to govern over. And so Rome calls him up and they're like, yo, you're letting this get out of control. Can you handle this, Pilate? Can you handle this? Because it looks like you're losing control, man. It looks like the people are just flooding the streets and they're going to tear this whole thing down. And we can't have that. We got enough enemies to worry about. We don't need enemies from within. Can you handle this, Pilate? And so as the crowd begins to get a little rowdy, because Pilate's like, ultimately, man, y'all can't like hold nothing on Jesus. Like He didn't technically break any laws. All of a sudden, he sees the Jewish crowd start to rile up again. He's thinking back. He's thinking back to, to when they went nuts before and he got in trouble. And he's listening to them, and they're like, they're like, this isn't against any laws. It's not against any laws. First of all, this is against all of our cultural practices. He claims to be the Messiah. He claims to be the one we've been waiting for. That's against our Jewish laws. He can't do that. 
Pilate's like, well, then you guys crucify him. If it's against your cultural laws, you guys handle it. And recognizing that they didn't actually have the authority to crucify anybody, to kill anybody, they find a way to throw it back on Pilate and exercise their mob mentality authority. The authority of the court of public opinion by saying, anyone who claims to be a king is a threat to Caesar, right? Anyone who claims to be a king is no friend of the emperor. How would you like it if the emperor of Rome found out that you were letting somebody who claims to be a king run around and threaten the institution of Rome? You see how the court of public opinion completely turned on its head and shifted that situation? We all know what ultimately happened from there, right? He is crucified. The court of public opinion has authority. My question is, does it have ultimate authority in your life? It certainly has its place in mine. We think we don't care what people think. We say we don't care what people think. Can I give something away for free real quick? If somebody leads by saying, I have thick skin, can I tell you a secret? They don't. They care very much what you think. They just want you to be honest because they care that much about what you think. They want you to be honest because they want to know the nitty-gritty details of what you actually think. That's for free. That's for another time. Process that in the car ride home. Court of public opinion is very important to our politicians. Politicians claim that they have ultimate authority, but do they really? Jews were basically saying, oh yeah, we can make sure you don't get elected again. How about that? Can I tell you guys something else? Listen, man, y'all will never be woke enough for Twitter. Y'all will never be woke enough for Twitter, right? The court of public opinion will always want you to be more woke than what's even possible. The court of public opinion is just waiting to cancel somebody because they got nothing to do. The court of public opinion will always be quick to be critical, to criticize, to bring somebody down. They always need a victim. They will always find a way to take somebody who supersedes culture or ethnicity and, and bring them back down. Because we live in a fallen and depraved world. People don't want to see people win unless it's them. There will always be someone who has something critical to say to you. There will always be somebody who says you yell too much. There will always be somebody who says you always talk about politics. There will always be somebody who thinks you speak on race too much. There will always be somebody who doesn't understand why you wear graphic tees. There will always be somebody who has something to say. 
But if this has ultimate authority in your life, my brother, my sister, oh, honey, you feel me? It's going to hurt, and it's not going to stop hurting. There's this word that we throw around now, I think it's toxic. That's toxic. You ever spent too much time on Twitter? Let me say it another way to hit a different demographic. You ever spent too much time playing Call of Duty online? Yo, those people are toxic. I play with them too, but they're toxic. You get off like playing like four straight hours and you're just, you're just mad at the world and you don't even know why. Gas? Look at these prices. This is bull crap. Somebody should do something about it. Shut up and pump your gas, dude. Come on. The court of public opinion is always going to be quick to bring something down. I'm just talking about me yesterday. It was me at the gas station complaining about gas prices. <laughs> is it the court of public opinion that has ultimate authority in your life? There is another option here. There's another statement that's made that is like, ugh, it's like a dagger. Does God genuinely have ultimate authority in your life? If you want to know what it looks like for God to genuinely have the authority in your life, look at what Jesus says. He says, Pilate looks at him, bruised, beaten, bloody man, at the mercy of the guard's discretion. He looks at him, says, do you not understand that I have the authority to set you free or have you killed? Do you recognize my position of authority over you in your life? And what does Jesus say? What does he say? It's not rhetorical. Y'all been, been with me the whole, whole time. What's he say? You would have no authority if it wasn't given to you. Ooh. Yo, he's trying to get struck again. So you would have no authority if it wasn't given to you. And he's not talking about Caesar. He's not talking about Pilate's boss. He's not carrying the situation and saying like, saying like, I'm going above you. Thank you. Saying you would have no authority if it wasn't given to you. Here's what's in Jesus' mind. In Jesus' mind, he understands that this is a part of God's will. It seems wild, right? It seems like it doesn't fit. But God knows that Jesus needs to be the sacrifice. That Jesus is going on for a greater purpose. Yeah, he's getting beat up and he's getting cruelly treat, treated. And, and, and I'm sure that God does not prefer for his son to get hit like that. But he also understands the bigger picture. He knows what God is going to go on to do. And so what Jesus is saying is the only reason I'm here in these chains right now. The only reason I don't call down legions of angels to come rescue me. Is because I'm on a mission. There's a purpose to all of this. The only reason that I don't get up out of this stance right now and with a word turn you all to dust 
is because I'm about to save your life. The only reason you can exercise this authority over me is because God has allowed you to have this authority. So let me ask you, whose authority is above God's? If the only reason anybody on this earth has authority is because of God, whose authority can be above God's? He says, and because of that, those of you who have given me over, you have the biggest crime of all. You have the biggest sin of all. Those of you who have been running around these streets saying you're waiting for the Messiah, but then you gave the Messiah over to a worldly authority, that's sinful. Those of you who are walking with me, saying that you were my disciple. But then, to turn a quick bag of silver, you gave me up? That's, that's so sinful. But let's be honest, we've given up the Messiah for less. We've given up the Messiah for less. Those of you who are sitting here this morning, and you've been here since we reopened, and you watched every stream while we were gone, and you're quick to buy new t-shirts, these are the old ones. Love Third Street, love God. But then another opportunity comes up, and you're quick to flip on us? You're quick to flip on God? Your Sunday morning attendance does not determine your proximity to the Messiah. Because you make it look like you're walking alongside Jesus does not mean that you're saved. The amount of Bible studies you go to, the amount of service you do in the community does not determine your salvation. Jesus, in a moment of ultimate vulnerability, takes the opportunity to shoot his shot at them. Say, don't get it twisted. I know what I'm doing here, but there's going to come a day after you give me over where you don't know what you're doing where you stand because you done killed me. I see how quick you are to stop following the way that I've taught you because it's difficult. I see how quick you are to give up on me rescuing you because there's a more immediate solution. I see you doing those things, and I have to wonder what you're going to do without me. What you're going to do when you get down the road of destruction and realize that you gave up on God back there. That that more difficult thing really was what he wanted you to do. Sorry, I got to go here real quick. You want to know what it looks like for Jesus to have ultimate authority in your life. Here's, here's your homework for this week. You ready for this? We'll do it that way. Here's your homework for this week. Write this down. I want you to read Matthew chapter 8. I want you to read specifically verses 15 through something. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's the story of a Roman centurion. 
a Roman centurion who had authority over a Jewish district who came to find the Messiah because his servant was sick. And the disciples in the Jewish audience had one type of reaction because, man, I hate, I hate these people in authority over here. And the Roman, that's a whole nother situation. Like, you know what it had to have taken for him to get to a point of asking Jesus for help? And Jesus hears the centurion's request. And without a doubt, without even needing to go see the sick servant, says he's healed. The servant's healed, and this right here, Jewish audience, is an example of faith. What it looks like for Jesus to have ultimate authority in your life is that you live by and you follow an authority that supersedes ethnicity and culture. You live by an authority that's above political affiliation. You're above that. Can I say that more explicitly? Stop. You're above that. You live by and follow an authority that doesn't yield to the medical conditions of this world. You're above that. Jesus says, I don't see this Roman centurion. I understand his political affiliation. The Roman even says, hey, I get what it means to have authority. I got people who work under me too, but I understand that there's something different about you. I understand that even though I technically have rule over Jews, I have people who work for me. I understand that even though technically I'm Roman, I'm not even supposed to be discussing this with you right now. I understand all those things, but there's something different about you. Listen, there's something different about Jesus. Jesus' opinion in most instances is not the same as the court of the public opinion. In most instances, he wasn't even speaking to the crowd. But those who have ears to hear will hear. Who has ultimate authority in your life? Because if it really is Jesus, if it really is the Lord, if it really is God who has ultimate authority in your life, then we are above a whole lot of things that we've been let bringing us down. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your sovereignty. Lord, we thank you that, that even when we don't understand it, you work everything out. We thank you, God, that you are infinitely more creative than we are. And while we look to solutions in this world to solve or save us from the depravity and the fallen nature of earth, Lord, we recognize that we need to repent and turn towards you. Father, forgive us for not turning to you sooner. Father, forgive us for giving you up for a more immediate solution. Father, forgive us for not recognizing our salvation when it was presented right in front of us. And Lord, by the conviction and the presence of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you continue to help us grow so that we don't make that mistake again. 
Lord, I pray that I pray that we would live by the authority that has called us to eternity. God, I pray that we would understand that when things get hard, it is your will that we should seek. Not the situation that pleases the most people. Not the situation that pleases our boss. But the will of the one who has enlisted us into the kingdom of God is the one we seek to please. Lord, we give over to you now our life. Have authority. Have your way. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, what's up?